Father, we thank you for um, today and uh, thank you for the opportunity to gather uh, in multiple ways, first for equipping hour and then the gathering um, here shortly uh, with your people and then uh, to have a meal together and uh, both the, the Lord's Supper and um, just a, a fellowship meal. Uh, we, we thank you for those opportunities. Um, Lord, we uh, pray that you would give us grace uh, as we go through uh, each part of our week, we interact with others. Um, Lord, please, please open doors for the gospel. Please help us to be bold and courageous to speak of you, to be who we are, and to speak of you with others um, because we have hope in you, because of how excellent and awesome you are, um, and because of what you've done through your Son. Um, so we, we just pray even that... Um, the Psalms, as we turn to them this morning, the Psalms would give us language uh, to speak of you uh, and to address uh, and speak of you to others, um, let alone address you in prayer. Uh, so, Lord, we just pray that you bless uh, this morning, this time, as we look at a couple Psalms, and um, uh, pray that you would prepare our hearts for the rest of the morning. We ask that you would be honored and glorified in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so um, last week we just kind of talked about some just a few contextual things um, that um, help you when you're approaching the Psalms. Um, of course, we're always looking for authorial intent. Uh, we're starting there. Uh, we're, that's what we mean by interpretation. What is the author's intent? Uncovering that. Uh, and then um, moving to application only after we've done that. Um, and then we just talked about how that shifts a little bit from, say, doing something like New Testament epistle to a psalm. Uh, the Psalms are more emotional in general, which is why we like them, and we're thankful to the Lord for them because they teach us in one level how to, um, how to have proper emotions and address the Lord properly. We talked about how the Psalms are, uh, were used um, uh, corporately at the temple, uh, the times of prayer, singing, um, so we've got to keep that context in mind. We also have to keep in mind, right, that this is a particular person, if David's speaking, and a particular people, uh, and so we just want to account for that as we think about um, reading them and as we think about applying them. Uh, we talked about uh, a lot of psalms, there's a lot of lament psalms, uh, where essentially the author's saying, uh, life stinks, uh, but God, I trust you, and I'm waiting, and I'm going to praise you when you act. Um, that's kind of the shorthand of lament, and then praise is kind of the uh, flip side of that, where... Um, when God delivers, there's, um, uh, the, the psalmist um, expresses that. Uh, that's not the only psalms there are. There are others for sure. Uh, but those are a couple major types you're going to encounter as you work through the Psalter. I think I looked at one statistic that was like, you're talking like 90 to 100 of all of the psalms are going to fall into lament and praise. So not everything, but a good majority. So um, so let's. what we want to do this morning is just practice. So uh, turn to Psalm 6. Psalm 6. Um, and what we're going to do, observation, interpretation, application. And we're just going to, uh, we'll do Psalm 6. If we have more time, we'll do Psalm 8. And um, we want to work through it, though. So um, Psalm 6. Now, uh, we, uh, I'll go ahead and uh, remember we, we say the, the inscription is part of Scripture, so I'll go ahead and read that. To the choir master with stringed instruments, 
according to the Sheminith, a psalm of David. O Yahweh, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, O Yahweh, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Yahweh, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. But you, O Yahweh, how long? Turn, O Yahweh, deliver my life. Save me from the, for the sake of your steadfast love. For in, the de- for in death there is no remembrance of you. In Sheol, who will give you praise? I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. My eye wastes away because of grief. It grows weak because of all my foes. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. For Yahweh has heard the sound of my weeping. Yahweh has heard my plea. Yahweh accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. So, um, same things that we have done with other passages. It just feels a little bit different since we're in a psalm. Observations. So we want to make uh, observations, including just facts, things that we see from the text. No interpretation yet. Um, We're just assembling facts. And also we're asking questions, right? Questions um, that would help us uncover the human author's intent. So there's a lot of questions you might ask that you're not going to be able to answer, Um, from the text itself, but you want to ask questions that help you uncover the human author's intent. So what do you see in Psalm 6? What are some things that you notice? Yeah, so... Yeah, so you can kind of think about the flow, the flow of the psalm in general. And that's a good way to just to kind of work through it. I mean, how does, how does it flow? What's he doing as he works through the psalm? Just general blanket terms, like how does it move? Yeah, so he starts very sorrowful. Um, okay, what else? <laughs> it's all about him. Yeah, um, yeah, there's a lot of me going on here. That's true. Uh, that's very true. Who's the me, by the way? David, David right? So, uh, and that helps us because, you know, we're just kind of, it's easy for us to start saying, oh, this is me, this is what I'm experiencing. Well, yeah, there's implications there, but you got to start first, who's the original? It's David, right? So David's saying, hey, uh, I'm, I'm very sad. This is, this is going on. Um, and then how does it, how does it, uh, okay, so things, things are difficult. What does he do? Yeah, he petitions God. He asks God to work and to um, work in the situation. And then what? Let's, how does, Lael kind of described it as a crescendo. Then what happens? So he petitions, and then what happens? Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's kind of this movement at the end. The enemies are going to be vanquished uh, because of why? Yeah, the Lord has heard him. So there's a movement of life stinks. Uh, here's my petition. And then there's kind of this ending crescendo where 
uh, whether he's seen it already or it's just expressing trust um, that, uh, yeah, God answered. God has answered, right? That's kind of the general movement. How would you characterize this psalm? Is it one of the types we've talked about? Yeah, definitely lament, right? Uh, this is uh, life stinks, but I'm expressing confidence in God. So this is a lament. Uh, this is a lament. Okay, uh, what else do you see? Okay. Yeah. Yeah, so you see that. That's a good observation. Um, uh, verse 2, Be gracious to me, O Yahweh, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Yahweh, for my bones are troubled. Okay. Um, what else? Do you see any other reasons that are given? That's a, that's a good, yeah, Patricia. Okay, yeah, where are you seeing that? Yeah, good. Loving kindness or steadfast love, loyal love, that, that's covenant love. That's um, uh, this word chesed in, um, in Hebrew that is either translated in your Bibles, loving kindness, steadfast love, loyal love, but it's covenant love um, is the, in general the idea of it. Steadfast love, I like that one. So, um, so he's not just focusing on himself, but he's linking himself uh, with God's steadfast love. So we see that. Uh, what else? Exactly. Yeah, good. It's, it's a good idea, right? I, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a good observation. Um, verse 5, 4. So he's pleading with it. God, intervene. Uh, not only because of who you are in your covenant love, but let me give you even more reasons, uh, because in death, there's no remembrance of you. In Sheol, which is kind of, it's a term that functions in a variety of ways in the Old Testament, but basically you can think of it as the grave. Um, Sheol, uh, who will give you praise? Um, he's saying, hey, look, I die, and um, in some sense, praise is going to cease. Now, that's probably popping up a question in your mind, isn't it? What's that? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what's the deal with Sheol, and why does David say that in death? Because there are other places where David certainly believes in existence after death. So why is here, uh, he, would he say that, hey, uh, if I go to Sheol, if I die, there's going to be no remembrance of you? That's an interesting interpretive question, especially as we think about our theology of um, death and the afterlife. Like, why does he express it that way here? Is there a reason? Um, so that's, that's an interesting question. Uh, what else? What else do you see? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that's what you get, right? That's not literally true in the sense of, like, that can't actually happen. But it's a way of expressing uh, how much grief. It's a pictorial, emotional way of expressing how much grief he has. Um, yeah. What else? Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. He's either being really confident and anticipating that, or he's already seen the deliverance. One of the two. Yeah. Yep. What, uh, do you get any clues about, like, what the, yeah, he's sad, and he's upset. Do you get any clues as to why? Yeah, some sort of enemies after him, some sort of foes. Um, okay. Yeah, verse 1, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. So some, somehow he's at least potentially viewing what he's undergoing as discipline um, at God's hand. Um, and then, but we also see later in the psalm, right, there's enemies involved, there's foes. Um, so, now, I mean, there's no, in the inscription, there's no, like, reference to what situation is actually happening in history. In other words, we can't pair this with a specific episode in, say, Samuel to, to know exactly what's going on. But as you think about the historical record in Samuel, there are a lot of situations that could fit this, right? Where David's, he's got foes that are after him and even foes that are because of discipline, um, because of David's failures, right? So uh, that's, uh, we know there are situations like that that happened in David's life, okay? Um, Okay, what else? Yeah, that would be nice to know who is the enemies. Um, again, because we can't pair this with a, a... Now, we could probably at least answer this, right? Um, what do we think? Are they human enemies or are they um, other enemies besides? I guess you kind of think of that as a trick question, but... Mm-hmm. Well, for sure, right? I mean, you look at... A lot of the things we walk through in Samuel, right, um, one way or the other, who, whatever episode you're talking about, like, uh, usually it's, it's some sort of a human enemy, and yet, you know, in a broader sense, yes, we could say, yeah, there are spiritual forces at work, because not only is it David, David's the anointed Davidic king, uh, he's supposed to be the king of Israel, uh, you know, God anoints him in place of Saul, things like this, so um, ultimately... Uh, maybe you can't see it in the psalm itself, but there is ultimately that spiritual dynamic going on. Okay, what else? Yeah, and that's kind of what verse 1 uh, would talk to. Um, it's funny, that's the only verse you get that indicates that maybe this is part of God's d- discipline, but it is there for sure. So, what else? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, there's a physical and an emotional component to this, right? It's not just one or the other, um, which is very much true to who we are as humans, right? That the physical and the spiritual are, we are physical and spiritual entities. We're not purely uh, spiritual, although that component is there, it's both, and they intertwine in the living of life. Um, and you see that expressed from David's um, going on here. Yep. Mm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let, could we, so where is he talking to God? Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, yeah, and that's, that's a very good exercise, especially going through the Psalms. Who's talking to who? Uh, I mean, other books, too. I mean, you can do the same thing, but especially the Psalms. It gets a little confusing sometimes. Who's he talking to? Um, and that's a really good exercise. So, yeah, one through five, uh, at the very least, he's talking to God. He's probably, um, seems like he's still talking to God through verse seven, right? He's, he's saying, here's my lament, here's what's going on in my life. But then, um, for sure, there's a switch in verse 8. Depart from me, and it's explicit, all you workers of evil. So he's talking to his enemies. Uh, whether he's literally talking to him or he's doing that for poetic effect, uh, either way, um, he's addressing them. And so now God is talked about in third person, and yeah, probably the assembly, because uh, at least at one, um, one level, this psalm was sung in the temple, right? He's talking to the whole community uh, of worshipers in the temple. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think so. So, so I would say that nine and ten, he's talking to himself. Yeah, possibly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so if, if you think about it as, see, there's two, the, the Psalms are complicated in terms of authorial intent because there's like the individual composition but then we know that they work together with the rest of it in the temple. So there's kind of two levels um, at which they're working um, in, in, that, in that sense, right? So, yeah, uh, he's either confirming to himself, to others, but he, it, it's a way of expressing God's going to act, right? And he's going to act against my enemies, okay? Good. You guys are getting great things. Um, anything else? Yeah, okay, good. Turn, O Lord. Um, why does he say that? Uh, kind of almost sounds like the language of repentance, right? Um, turn, uh, do something different would be another way of saying that, okay? Um, good. What else? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. 
Yep. Ability to rescue, wrath, loving kindness. Yeah, we do see a lot of God's attributes um, at work here. Okay. So what it? Let's let's try to. You know, we spent some good time on this. We could obviously spend more. Uh, let's try to pull it together. Um, uh, it starts with. Uh, I mean, how how could how could we pull these facts together? What is this psalm talking about? How could we summarize it? How could we explain it back to ourselves? Yeah, so there's at least a gospel principle there. Um, do what is so at least there's the discipline aspect that we talked um, talked about, and so there's that that idea of restoration. What is David wanting relief from? Yeah, he wants relief from his enemies, he, which is causing him languishing, which is causing him grief. Uh, you guys already pointed out the main argument, the main turn, uh, or the main argument for David's appeal, it seems to happen in verses 4 through 5, right? Based on God's character, um, steadfast love, and also, hey God, you want me to praise you. Well, if I die, in some sense, that's not going to happen. So he's arguing with God that, um, that uh, hey, uh, please deliver me, um, please, you know, it's, at least it seems like he acknowledges in verse 1, some of this is due to your, your discipline, um, and yet he's asking for relief because of God's steadfast love, because uh, David's saying, yeah, I, I want to praise you. Um, he is facing literal death, it seems like, um, at, at some level or another. Um, and so he's, um, he's pleading, and then we see a result. We actually get to see a result in this psalm, right? Um, he pleads with God for relief from all of these things, and then there's confidence in the end. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. The Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea. Uh, um, the Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies shall be ashamed and greatly troubled. They shall turn back and be put to shame in a moment. Now, why is it good news um, that, that uh, David's enemies are going to be greatly ashamed, greatly, you know, uh, they're going to be turned back, put to shame. Why, why is that good news? Okay, good. So at the level of just David, uh, well, that's the source of his languishing. What else? Think about a bigger level. Remember, this is sung in the community. What's that? Okay, and think about that with the connection with David and who? What's that? Not Saul. Bigger. What's that? Nope. Not an individual, but no, that's a, the grave. Yeah, the Jews, Israel, Israel, right? So that's where you got to keep in mind, David's the anointed king. He's, he embodies Israel in a person, 
That's what it means to be the Davidic king. That's what it means to be the king of Israel in general, right? So not only is it good news that David is getting rescued in and of itself, but also David's getting rescued, and that means that, in that sense, Israel's getting rescued, right? Um, so, you know, to use Kevin's language, yeah, God takes care of his own, but because uh, Israel also has this connection with David. So if David gets rescued, Israel gets rescued. Uh, that's how the Davidic covenant works. Um, okay, so um, w- um, how do we, so we kind of got a handle on this, right? This is David. What's he doing? He's, he's under some sort of discipline. He um, is appealing to the Lord to re- uh, relieve that. He's appealing for deliverance based on God's steadfast love. He's appealing to him based on the ability to praise him after deliverance. Um, and, uh, and then it happens, and we see God deliver. Okay, how do we... Well, okay, let's back up a stage. What was the application for the original audience? What, were the, what was the original audience in the temple, Israel coming to the temple, singing this? What are they supposed to do with this? How's it supposed to change them? Right. Right. Yeah. So what? Yeah. Absolutely. So what should they do if that's true? Uh, well, rejoice truly, but trust. And also express in the same language that David is expressing here, right? It's an invitation to pray and to see. Look at how it ends, right? Um, the Lord, Yahweh has heard my plea. Yahweh accepts my prayer. So um, uh, there's there's an invitation in this, uh, as even the nation. Think of the nation singing this, right? Um, that uh, there's even an invitation. Pray like David prayed. Uh, there is some of that, I think, but also express trust in who God is and his character, his steadfast love, uh, the fact that he wants us to praise him. So um, it, even this side of death, there's a particular way we get to do that um, now uh, that doesn't happen the other side of death, uh, at least in, in an initial sense. Um, you think of Paul, Maybe to help you with that, think of Paul. What does Paul say in Philippians? He says, but if I remain on in the flesh, it's fruitful labor for me, right? There are things he can do if he stays on in the flesh that he can't do if he dies, although if he goes, he dies, he's happy because he gets to be with God, right? So I think it's along those lines probably that we're seeing some of that here, right? Like there's a way in which if I stay on in the flesh, I get to praise God that I don't otherwise. Um, uh, so, okay, great. Now, what do we, what do, we do? What application is there for us? Not your question. Yeah, leaning on God's attributes. But let's be more specific. How does this psalm, what would this psalm encourage us to do? Um, You probably don't have someone coming after you to kill you um, in that uh, the sense that David does. 
but yet there are enemies, there are sobering situations that do happen in life. All, I mean, that's just life, right? A life in a fallen world, maybe even due to our own foolishness or uh, stupidity. Maybe some of that is just, you know, maybe part of it's even God's discipline. How should we pray to God? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that is part, that's the beauty of the Psalms is they're kind of like, I don't know if you've ever thought about it before, but singing and praying are pretty much the same, or they should be. Um, and you definitely see that in the Psalms. And so what's beautiful about that is they teach us how to sing, but they also teach us how to pray uh, and to be real with God, not in the sense, you don't ever want to be real with God in the sense that well, this sucks, why don't you deliver me, what's going on? And then you don't express any sort of trust or reverence for who God is or his character. But here we see, Lord, deliver me uh, because of who you are, um, because of your steadfast love, because I want to praise you. And that's the right way um, to, to, to talk to God, um, to say, hey, uh, I realize that you're disciplining me. Please, please even grant relief. Um, I'm sad, I'm broken, uh, I'm grieving uh, because of what's going on. Uh, Lord, please deliver. And then whether God delivers in the way you think or not, right, you, you, you can express that confidence that you see at the end of the psalm. Okay, God's going to answer, maybe not in the way I expect, but God is going to answer and bring relief. How do we know that that's true in the long run? Like, you can kind of just say that in such a way, oh, yeah, God, something's going to happen, God's going to deliver, right? You can kind of say that in a trite way, but what's, a, what's a, um, even a, um, as we, we, this David's praying this as the Davidic king, we as Christians are connected with the ultimate Davidic king, with Jesus, and um, there's a sense in which uh, well, because our Davidic king has succeeded and will succeed, and God's going to hear him, he's going to hear us too. And there's a sense of ultimate deliverance um, that we can have. So whether, whether um, he um, brings immediate relief here and now, uh, we do know there's ultimate relief, and God will hear our prayers through this. So there's some of that dynamic you get to bring in as a Christian too into this. If David had this sort of confidence... Uh, how much more should we, as the people of the the Davidic King Jesus? Uh, so there's some of that as well. Okay. Anything else? Uh, what's that? Yep. Good. Absolutely. Right. Uh, you think of Jesus even uh, uh, in the sense of did Jesus face foes like this um, and put did he put him to death? Yes. And yet, even so, uh, God heard uh, Christ please, right? Resurrected him, ascended him, right? So there's even that sense 
uh, that we can think about as well. I'm not saying, when I say that, I'm not saying that that's what the psalm is referring to. I'm not saying that's what the interpretation of the psalm. I'm saying, see, I'm at the level of application right now. I'm not at the level of interpretation. Interpretation, we're talking David, we're talking his physical enemies, that sort of a thing. But in terms of how we apply it, we kind of now have the act, we have to think, apply it as Christians um, and, and think through some of those dynamics. So, yeah. Okay, um, any, any other questions or comments? Things you can see that you can apply from Psalm 6. Okay, well, let's turn to Psalm 8. Do a little bit more practice. Who wants to read Psalm 8? Seven's long. We'll go to Psalm 8. So I'm going to go ahead and read Psalm 8. Lord our God, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, Observation time. What do you see? Praise. praise. Yeah. So this is a praise psalm, right? Um, it's uh, praise to God. There's no hint. Is there any hint of deliverance in this? No, it doesn't seem to be. Um, so in that sense, maybe it's not so much uh, a response to a lament. It just seems to be kind of forthright praise. Um, Okay, what else? Yeah, the absolute, that's how it uh, kind of uh, starts, right? Is just how great God's glory is. What else? The littleness of man, uh, absolutely. What else? Mm hmm. Yeah, and that's the, the, a huge thing, right? So God is so great, man is so small, and yet God is, uh, I'll use your word language, interested in man. Uh, to what end in this psalm? What, what is man's job? Absolutely it does. Yeah. So this is a good this is a good where previous theology, previous books, that is all sitting there feeding into potentially feeding into this. In this case we do. This is like a psalm version of Genesis 126 through 28, right? Uh, where God says, Let us make man in our image, let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and all the birds. Of, like all that language is in here. It's like the music version of that. 
um, and it's a commentary on that. So that's, that's a really good observation. It's really gonna help us as we think through what's going on here, right? So, great, what else? See anything repeated? Good, yeah, verse one and verse nine, right? Uh, o Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. So there's a repetition there, which leads to a question. Why is there a repetition, right? Like, why, why did he repeat himself? Uh, is there anything more to it than just kind of beginning and ending? Is there more to it than that? Maybe, maybe not. Um, but at least there's a repetition there. What else do you notice since we're talking about verse 1 and verse 9? Yeah, it's bookends. Uh huh. Yeah. So there's a bookend at the very least. That's what's going on. Uh, what does he call God? Okay, but even before majestic, our Lord. Ooh, yeah, yeah. So there's a possessive sense, our Lord. And then he, he uses two names. Yeah, he uses Yahweh, um, the covenant name of God, and then another Lord. So one, in your English Bibles, there's probably the capital L-O-R-D, and then there's the, still a capital L, but then lowercase O-R-D. Um, so those are different names in the original. So that's significant, right? It is significant to note. They're not synonyms. Um, he's, 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 there's something different emphasized with each of those titles. Um, so Yahweh is God's personal name, his covenant-keeping name, uh, whereas Lord is uh, Adonai, which is uh, his lordship, like a master, like a, a, like a kingly lord, sort of an emphasis. So uh, both of those. Yeah, it's our. Mm-hmm. Our Lord, yeah. Mm-hmm. What else? Let me ask you this. How much space is spent on God versus man in this psalm? What's that? Uh, in which direction? Yeah, it's, it, once you look at it, right, like it begins with God's majesty, um, no doubt about it, verse 1 and verse 9 for that matter, like we've been saying. Um, but then he does spend, a, I mean, if you just talk in terms of sheer word count, 
um, he spends quite a bit of time talking about man, and he uses a particular term, son of man, uh, that is significant, son of Adam, uh, that is, you know, significant that's going on here. Um, so that's interesting. And like we said, it's a reflection on Genesis 1, through 28. Uh, the, all those concepts are here. Now, the question is, why? Why would he spend so much, if this is a praise psalm, and it is, and it's praising God's majesty, why in the world would he spend so much time on man, who he acknowledges is like, why do you even consider such a lowly one as this, right? Why does he spend so much time on man, do you think? Now I'm drifting into interpretation, so. Okay. Yes. And through his creation. Yep. And how does in this psalm, so God is majestic because of what he's created, how does God get glory for himself in this psalm? He says it. What was that? Yeah, he's created in God's image, which means, you kind of see this. I'm running out of time. That's why I want to kind of show you this, right? Like, look at verse 2. So in verse 1, he says, O Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So that's all God. Like, God is just great. But then verse 2, out of the mouths of babies and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and avenger, right? So God's like, um, here's another way you can see God's glory, is like he establishes his own strength through babies and infants. And then what does he go on to do? He then goes on to reflect, hey, let's talk about a baby and an infant. Let's talk about the Son of Man. Let's talk about the lowly uh, human beings, and yet uh, they, um, you've given them dominion um, over the creation to do what? To do exactly what verse 2 is talking about, uh, to essentially praise God's strength. And that's, as someone said, right, that's, all, that's what it means to be an image bearer, right? To be an image bearer means to exercise rule and dominion in such a way that you're puny, but God um, is magnified through that. Uh, you don't deserve that role. You don't deserve to, to be in that role. And yet God has given it to you to do what? So that God can show his greatness, his glory um, through even the weakness of, of mankind. And that's why you get that kind of reflection on that. And then the bookend, verse 9, of, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name, all the earth, right? He start, it, kind of, it kind of expands out. Uh, how does God get glory? Through weak people. God showing um, his strength through weak people. Uh, let's reflect on mankind's uh, rule and dominion. And then let's return to that idea of, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name, and all the earth. If mankind is functioning right in doing its image-bearing, then that brings glory and honor to God, right? Um, which is kind of how this psalm works. Uh, okay, briefly, what are some things we could take away from Psalm 8? And I know I rushed that. Um, there's more we could have dwelt on and, and that sort of thing. But in terms of application, well, how could we apply this? Yeah, Tony. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Because this is mankind's role, who's the ultimate son of man? Christ, right? He's the ultimate man. Um, he is God, and he is man. He's the ultimate man, right? So we, like, mankind, the author of Hebrews, right, uh, will reflect on this, say, hey, uh, we don't see right now, like, mankind exercising dominion. <laughs> but we see Christ, and we know he's the ultimate man. Um, and so even, even this is the background for that, that understanding of Christ is the ultimate man. He's going to rule and exercise dominion, and through him, we get to restore our images as well, right? That's kind of the trajectory of how that works, right? So we still have this role. This is still ours. Like, we need to be functioning in that way. How do we, as Christians, function that way through Christ, the ultimate son of man? Um, Again, uh, what is David doing? David's reflecting on humankind generally, um, and he's reflecting on God's glory should come through a puny humankind. So that's David. And now as Christians, as we apply this, so I'm stepping out of interpretation, I'm leaving David, and as we apply this, we think about, okay, yeah, we now know how, is that, how does that work? How do we fulfill that role uh, that David is, is looking at? And it ultimately does come back to God's glory through Christ. So, Okay, any other thoughts before we close? The Psalms are rich. Um, I mean, you guys all know that. But uh, I think especially even as Brenda noted earlier, right, thinking about how they teach us to pray um, is, a big, is a big deal. And uh, what we ought to be praying about uh, and thinking about um, I said that the purpose of the whole book of the, all five books of the Psalms is how do you worship while you wait for the king? And that is absolutely true. You could also uh, talk about it like this. How do you pray while you wait for the king? Right? Because both um, prayer and song kind of merge um, as we look through the Psalms. So, yeah, Bruce. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, music helps you feel a, uh, a thought, right? That's kind of the beauty of music. It helps you feel a thought. You might even think about as we worship this morning, um, as we're singing the music, like how, how can this be a prayer to the Lord, right? So you're not only singing to God, and I'm singing in concert with others, but I'm making that an act of prayer uh, to God himself. Yep. 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 That's why worship is so important. Music is so important in church. So let's pray. Uh, oh, Lord. O oh, Yahweh, our Lord, um, your name is majestic in all of the earth. We can see that even in our immediate surroundings of um, living between two grand mountains and a beautiful uh, river 
um, and beautiful orchards and green and blue and um, uh, even the rock formations. And Lord, all of it you have created um, and uh, shaped by your hands. Um, and Lord, we, um, and yet all in the midst of that is your image bearers um, and uh, sons of men, daughters of men. And Lord, we still have that responsibility um, to um, work and exercise dominion for your glory. Uh, Lord, we know that we do not. We know that many do not know you. They do not know Christ. And so even though they have that responsibility, they aren't aware. They aren't fulfilling it. They aren't, uh, uh, they are, instead of glorifying you, they're demeaning you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would glorify your name through the rescuing of more souls to be connected to the Son of Man, um, to accurately and appropriately and reverently um, be image bearers. And we pray in the church, as those who do know Christ, that we would fulfill that function, that all that we do would redound to the praise of your glory. We pray that you would bless our gathering this morning as we sing, as we sing praises, as we sing as a prayer to you, that you would be greatly honored and greatly magnified um, and greatly pleased. Um, we thank you that you do, as Psalm 6 talks about, that you hear our prayers, that you hear our petitions. And so uh, we, we just thank you for this morning and this time together. In Christ's name, amen.